Bible reading this morning is from 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through chapter 2, verse 2. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word this morning. Thank you for the gift of truth, that we can know something in this world is true, something in this world we can rely upon and rest in. But Lord, I pray that right now as we open up your word, that this would not be like any other moment of our week. I pray, Lord, that you would be faithful to your promises, that your word would be living, that it would be active, that it would be sharper than a double-edged sword, and that it would cut us to the heart. Lord, would we leave this place changed by the power of your Spirit. Father, we ask this in the name, the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You guys hear me okay? Okay. Let me ask you, when was the last time that somebody called you out? When was the last time? Maybe it was a family member. Maybe a roommate. You didn't do some chore around the house that you were supposed to do. Maybe it was your spouse. They didn't like the tone that you were using when you were talking to them. Or maybe one of your coworkers, they, they didn't appreciate the way you handled something on the job. How did you respond? What did you do the last time that somebody let you know you had done wrong? How do you feel when people tell you you've done wrong? Yeah? How do you feel when people point out that you aren't perfect, that you have sin? How do you do with acknowledging that? How do you do with owning that? Well, in this letter, John, he's dealing with a group of people who have decided they're not sinners. Now, you might expect something like that to happen outside of the church, right? In this culture that we live in, there's a lot of people who are saying truth is relative, right? What's true for you may not be true for me. But this wasn't outside of the church. This was inside of the church. This was a group of people who claimed to know Christ, but they didn't know their sin. Now, we might not be quite so bold. We might not express it that way, that we don't believe we have sin. But I do think there are plenty of Christians today who deny their sin. 
There are plenty of Christians today who act like their sin is really no big deal. And when that happens, the church suffers. When that happens, the name of Christ in the world suffers. So what's the remedy? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. How do we become the kind of people who are comfortable seeing our weaknesses? How do we become the kind of people who can live together in love? Who can freely own our sin in repentance and faith? So these three verses, these verses that we're going to look at, they have three truths for us today. God is light. Because God is light, His people see their sin. And finally, when we walk in the light, we live in fellowship and freedom. So let's start with that first one. The first point is God is light. Verse 5. Pull out your Bibles if you haven't got them open. Verse 5, it says, This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. Now the way John describes God is really powerful. It's really vivid. God is light. But it's also kind of strange, right? If I were to ask you to fill out the sentence, God is blank, what would you say? Maybe you'd say God is everywhere. God is powerful. God is good all the time. But would you say God is light? What does that really mean? Uh, well, when John tells us that God is light, he means that God is good, that he is the absence of evil. When he tells us that God is light, he means that God is true, that there is nothing false, there is nothing deceptive in him. And that means that unlike everything else in the world, unlike every single thing that is a mixture of joy and sorrow, that's a mixture of good and bad, God is only good. He is only pure. He is only righteous. He is only holy. He's only true. Well, why didn't John just say that then? Well, because when he says God is light, he says all of that, that God is good, that God is true, but he also tells us that God is at work. You realize that? Light is something that is active. Light is on the move all the time. Light is always accomplishing its purposes. Light, it repels darkness. Light, it reveals whatever is hiding. Whatever junk is, is out there in the dark, when light shines, you know what it is. See, I still have a couple of children who are, are young enough to be afraid of the dark. You, I'm sure, remember what that was like. They don't want to be in any room where the lights aren't on. You remember what it's like laying in those rooms, looking at those shadows, and you see you know, the monsters in the closet or under the bed or whatever it is. And, and what's the solution? Well, it's just you get a tiny light, a little night light. That's all it takes. Plug it into the wall, and that small amount of light shows what's really going on. No, it's just a chair. It's just a pile of clothes. Don't worry about it. 
But when John says that God is light, he doesn't mean that he's just a, a tiny little nightlight. He is saying that God is the light that reveals everything. In his presence, everything becomes visible. There is no darkness at all. Now, if you just hear the words, God is light. It sounds kind of poetic, right? God is light. It sounds kind of nice, kind of gentle. But that's not the picture. John wants you to know that God's light is powerful. He is a blazing sun. His holiness exposes all of our imperfections. There is nothing hidden in your life that can remain hidden from the light of God. Standing in the light of God, it brings life. But also, sometimes it's, it can be pretty uncomfortable. It can be uncomfortable because in God's light, there is no place to hide. Right? Remember that story in the book of Isaiah? When the prophet first encountered God? It's Isaiah chapter 6. Here's what it was like for him to get in God's presence. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And it says, All around him were these angels, and they were crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And here's how Isaiah responded. He said, Woe to me! I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When you encounter the light of God, that is what happens. You see the true state of your heart. You recognize immediately just how badly you need cleansing. God is a blazing beacon of holiness that exposes everything that's hidden inside. God is light. And in Him there is no darkness at all. And because God is light, His people see their sin. This is the second point. If we are God's people, if we are living in a relationship with that God Isaiah saw, this perfect, powerful, righteous, and holy God, this God who is light, well, then we're going to see our sin. That's what John wants us to understand. And so he points out these three lies. These three lies that expose a false faith. The first one I want to talk about is in verse 10. He says, If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. So the first lie that exposes false faith is, is we say, I have not sinned. John says, if that describes you, then you're calling God a liar, and you don't know him. His truth is not in you. 
Now that may sound strange, but I have a friend just like this. I have a friend who attends a church where I used to be a pastor. And she goes to church regularly. She goes to Bible studies. She hangs out with Christian people all the time. But if you asked her about it, she would tell you, well, I find the story of Jesus very inspirational. I, I find it uh, to be uh, a really lovely story. But I just don't think I'm a sinner. Maybe that's your perspective today. I don't know. Maybe you would say that too. Maybe you'd say, I'm not a sinner. Or maybe there's someone in your life that you love who would say that. You say, look, all this stuff sounds great, but I just don't need a Savior. I'm, I'm a good person. God will accept me. Well, Scripture tells us that's just not the case. Scripture tells us that every single one of us, when we come into this world, we come into it as sinners. But the truth is, we all start out where my friend is. We all start out blind to the truth. We don't realize that we're sinners. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul, he says, you were dead in your trespasses and your sins, but because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. In other words, he says that apart from God, we're all dead in our trespasses. And if you say you aren't a sinner, what's really true is you're dead in your sin. That you are doomed to spend eternity apart from God. But there's good news attached to that threat. The good news is God can still come and make you alive. And for every single one of us in this room who's a Christian, we've had that moment, right? We had that moment where God showed us our sin. It's the amazing grace, right? I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. If you don't see your need for a Savior, then you don't know God yet. That's what John's telling us. But I would say, if that's you, pray. And ask God that He would reveal Himself to you. The second lie that John points out is that my sin doesn't matter. In verse 6 of our passage, he says, If we claim to have fellowship with Him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. So, like I said, this is when somebody says, I know that I have sin, but my sin just doesn't matter. God doesn't really care all that much. Now, this is ridiculous, right? You can't love God and hate His commandments. You, you can't love God and also love your sin. If you, if you love God, you're not going to love sin as well, right? I mean, think of it this way. If, if you're a vegan, okay, you're not going to eat a, a pack of bacon every day, right? Now, you might go around telling people you're a vegan, and maybe some people will believe you, but they're not when they see what's in your fridge, right? If you live in the light, if you love the light, you're not going to spend all your time in the darkness. But sadly, I think that describes a lot of Christians today. 
I think that describes a lot of people in the church. They're the people who check off the census box and say they're Christians. Maybe they even go to church on Sundays because that's what they're supposed to do. But Monday through Saturday, their life looks just like everyone else's. They live their life in unrepentant greed, anger, stress, anxiety, fear, lust. They live their lives for themselves just like any other non-believer. John tells us that if that's you, you might be fooling some people. If that's you in this room, you might be fooling a lot of people here. But you know what? You can't fool God. He sees the heart. And the main objection, the one I want to spend most of our time on is this third one. It comes in verse 8. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So this third lie is the lie that says, I don't sin anymore. Now that I'm a Christian, I'm holy. Even today, you can find churches that teach this doctrine. That when you become a Christian, you just don't sin anymore. One of the uh, books I was reading this week told the story of a pastor who had a member of his church who believed this. And he said, Pastor, that was a great sermon, but you know, the truth is, Christians don't sin anymore. So he invited him over for dinner to explain his viewpoint. And this man was explaining how from the moment he first came to faith in Christ, sin was just not a problem for him anymore. The old man inside of him was dead and gone. And so the pastor, at the end of the story, picked up his glass of water and threw it in his face. The guy jumped up and he got mad and started yelling at him and he said, See, here's the problem. The old man in you wasn't dead. He just fell asleep. <laughs> he needed to be woken up with a glass of water. The Bible says that we're going to wrestle with sin all of our lives. We might have some victories. We will have some victories. But the Bible tells us that we are going to battle our sin until the day we are with Jesus in glory. Peter, in his letter to the church, he says... Be alert and watchful. Be of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Now look, folks, that is not the kind of warning that you give to people who are not going to struggle with sin. And here's why this is such a big deal. If we set up the expectation in the church that Christians don't sin, well, eventually, the church is just going to collapse. Because you know what? Christians do sin. They sin all the time. And we are not going to be able to live together if we don't know how to deal with that. If we don't open up, if we don't talk about our ongoing battle, if we don't talk about the places where we struggle with temptation, 
then we're going to be a church and not filled with holy people, not filled with righteous and godly people, but we're going to be a church filled with, with what? Guilt. With deceit. With shame. With secrecy. The Reformation that gave birth to both of our churches, right? The Reformation began when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses to the door in Wittenberg. You know what the first of those 95 Theses was? It was, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, when He said, repent, He willed that the whole life of believers should be one of repentance. What that means is this. It means we need to repent all the time. Our faith is founded on our constant need for grace. We need grace all the time. We need grace every day. Jesus is the only one who is perfectly righteous. Not you. Not me. Jesus. That's why we need Him. Like Pastor Mason said, the, the church its not a museum for saints. It is a hospital for sinners. If we're not in the daily practice of repenting of our sins, if we're not in the daily practice of going to Jesus for grace and forgiveness, how on earth can we have grace and forgiveness for you? Where are we going to get that from? Churches without sin are harsh places to be. Churches without sin are terrifying places to be. But here's the thing. You know, when I put these three lies up on the screen... I would imagine, if you're a Christian in this room, you probably would not claim any of them. Probably nobody would be willing to stand on the stage and say, I don't sin anymore. But the way I want to ask it to you this morning is, what would other people say about you? How do other people experience your relationship to your sin? Do people know you to be a person who is regularly repentant? Do they know you as someone who is resting and trusting in Christ's good record, in His righteousness? Or do they think you're self-righteous and stubborn? Sometimes, even with the best theology, we struggle to be honest about our sin when the rubber meets the road, don't we? When somebody calls us out, Instead of owning it, what do we do? We minimize it, right? We say, well, why are you making such a big deal out of it? It's just a small thing. They call us out. We, we shift the blame. We say, well, I only did that because you did this first, right? Or we excuse it. We say, well, sure, but I had a hard day. Thinking that justifies it. But John, his words are really stern. He says, if you claim to be without sin, the truth is not in you. And that means when you act like that, when we act like that as believers, when we respond to our sin and defensiveness and self-righteousness, we are sinking back down into the darkness. But on the other hand, what does is, what is the rest of the verse say? 
when we confess our sin. That's where the power is. When we give up that defensive posture, when we give it up with other people, when we give it up with God, it says that He is faithful and He is just to cleanse us from our sins and to purify us from all our unrighteousness. So that's the point. He's saying that that God's people, we don't deny our sin. We don't ignore our sin because God's light is shining in our lives. We can't do anything but see it. And that means we have to acknowledge it. We have to repent. And the third point is this. When we walk in the light, we live in freedom and fellowship. Now, this is the good part. (laughs) This is the part I'm really excited about. Verse 7, it says, But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son purifies us from all sin. That's so powerful to me. Those lies about our sin, ignoring it, denying it, minimizing it, hiding it, all that stuff, those things destroy us. But if we walk in the light, if we bring out our sin, it says we will have fellowship with one another and we will have freedom from it. Now, the enemy... Satan, he wants you to believe the exact opposite of that. He wants you to believe that no one's going to understand. That if you confess your sin, that people are going to run away from you. That they're going to want nothing to do with you. That they're going to be shocked and appalled by you. He wants you to believe that you won't have fellowship. He wants you to believe that you won't have freedom. He wants you to believe that God is tired of you. That your sin is too big, that you've come too many times, and that he doesn't want to hear from you again. But that's a lie. See, when sin comes into the light, grace abounds. Amen? When sin comes into the light, God gives us freedom and he gives us fellowship. And you might say, sure, Pastor, okay, that sounds really nice. Freedom and fellowship, that sounds great, but I don't know. How can I know that's really going to work out for me? Well, John answers the question for us. Right at the end of our passage, he says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. See, you can be certain this is going to work out for you because of the truth of the gospel. It says when we confess our sins to God, there is no risk of rejection whatsoever. God is not checking your balance sheet. He's not looking to see if you've been good enough and if you deserve another chance. He's not weighing your good deeds against your bad deeds or thinking about your promise to do better next time. John says that if Christ is your Savior, then right now, 
right now in this very moment, on this Sunday morning, you have an advocate standing in the presence of God. Jesus Christ. The righteous one. Hmm. The righteous one. And what's he doing there? What do you think Jesus is doing up there? Is it a fight? Is God sitting on his throne with lightning bolts ready to strike you down and Jesus is saying, no, 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 don't do it. Don't do it. No, of course not. That's not what he's there for. That's not the kind of advocate that we need. No, Jesus isn't there to argue. He is there as a testament, as a testimony. He is there as a reminder that when you come to God, the penalty for your sin has already been paid. When you repent, God's not thinking about your worthiness. He's thinking about the worthiness of His beloved Son who took the penalty for your sin on the cross. So I want to say, if you're on this fence today about whether you should confess or not, if you're worried that maybe things won't go well for you, then I want to encourage you to come. You've got nothing to fear. But I do know it's hard. When you start to think about how this, what this means in your actual life, I know it's hard. For years, my wife confronted me on my tendency to, to work too much. She told me that I sinned against her and our family with the, the hours that I was keeping. And it was hard for me to hear that. It hurt me when she said that. And I didn't believe it. The truth was, on the inside, I didn't feel that way. And owning that and saying that I had sinned against you, you know, that felt like death. So I didn't. I denied it. I said, you're not seeing things clearly. And so I tried to make adjustments. I tried to respond to her concerns. But I was unwilling to just confess. I was unwilling to seek forgiveness. And doing that brought darkness. Doing that brought disunity. It broke fellowship. As I minimized, as I excused myself. And what was one of the most healing moments in our entire marriage was the day when I was finally able to repent. To own it. To say, I hurt you by the way I lived. By the way that I've been working and, and I'm sorry. And from that moment, I can tell you that Jesus has been able to heal our home in ways I never thought would be possible. We're still not perfect. But I'll tell you, the light is shining and God is working. So my question to you this morning is, do you believe that God would do that same thing for you? Do you believe that if you confess your sins, He will forgive and cleanse and heal? Do you believe that if you let God's light shine in those dark corners, then you're going to be free? Do you believe that if we all did that, if we all started owning our sin together, admitting our weakness together, then our fellowship, we'd have fellowship. And this fellowship would be filled with the power of God. 
The people would be astonished by what they see. The people would come in here and they would come to faith. Do you believe? Well, it's the truth. And it starts right now. It begins with us this morning stepping into the light. And so I want us to take a minute. Uh, we're about to head into the pastoral prayer. And I want us to just take a moment individually just to sit here and consider before the Lord what we need to bring in for. If you'll bow your heads with me in a few moments, I'll start praying with us. Father, hear our prayers.